Hi, people I know in a very large theater. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody Live. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This is the weirdest show we've done. Hands down, this is the weirdest show we've done. I didn't know what to do for the monologue, so I decided to just read all of the venues we've been at, and that'll give you an idea of why this maybe is a weird show. The show started five years ago this week in uh, Chicago, Illinois, at this place called The Hungry Brain, and that's like a neighborhood bar, and it's known for their free jazz night. Free jazz is a style of music that mostly only single white guys like. So it was a very popular bar, and uh, that's how the show started. That was the first year of the show. Then I moved here in Washington, D.C. That's where we're at right now. Oh, yeah, for the people listening at home, we're at the Library of Congress because life is silly. Okay, so we did the show at the Looking Glass Lounge, which is a neighborhood bar in Petworth in Washington, D.C. Now, when we started the show there, it was not a safe bar or safe neighborhood. And I know that because the owners of the bar said, this is not a safe bar and you're not in a safe neighborhood. Things have changed drastically. One of the reasons why we stopped doing a show there is because there was a fight between two bros at an 8x8, which is the show we do, during a poet's reading. So once we decided there was a brawl during poetry, it's time to move on. The neighborhood's been completely gentrified. The third place we did the show is a place called Pete's Candy Store in Williamsburg, New York City. Now, that bar has been in a movie called Your Idiot Brother, starring Zoe Deschanel as a performance artist, so you understand what type of bar that is. Okay, the next place was The Whistler, which is a bar in Chicago, Illinois. It's a very lovely cocktail bar, and they're just amazing, and uh, no one knew why we were doing the talk show here, sort of like how we're doing it now. It's a fantastic place. I love it dearly. We haven't done a show there in four years. Anyways, the Wonderland Ballroom is the current home for the show. And I love the Wonderland Ballroom when I'm doing the show, and I absolutely hate the Wonderland Ballroom an hour after I do the show because it turns into a horrible, horrible place in the lovely Columbia Heights neighborhood. Uh, By the way, for the people listening at home, and even some of the D.C. residents, whenever you can uh, pick up a shirt that says Columbia Heights Day, remember that it's spelled C-O-L-U-M-B-A Heights, not Columbia Heights Day, but that's a lot more fun, and you can buy those shirts at a heavy discounted price. The next place we did the show was The Way Station, which is a Doctor Who-themed bar in Brooklyn, New York. So pretty, pretty good choices there thus far. The next place was a place called The Grape Room, a lovely venue that bills itself in Philadelphia, but it's really in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And boy, that was a show. It was a show, that I'll, and I'll never go back to that place. It was a horrible, horrible place. The next place is The Creek in the Cave, which is a comedy theater in Long Island City, New York. You know where Long Island City, New York is? Perfect. Not a lot of people do. It's a real hassle for the club. The next place was called The Wind-Up Space, and they're a bar... I do a lot of shows in bars. They're a place in Baltimore, and they're a doctor... No, sorry, they're a Twin Peaks-themed place. So if you ever want to perform on the, in the Red Room, you've got to go to Baltimore. Next place is Silver Lake Lounge, etc., etc., etc. How we ended up here, I work at a place called Brightest Young Things, and I know a lot of nice people. And a lot of these nice people have been on the show, and that's actually how I know Johnny. And Johnny and I got to do a show earlier this year um, for actually a sad reason. Uh, one of the most important folk musicians ever, if not the most. Is he the most important? He's one of. One of the most. One of the most important. His name is Pete Seeger. What if that's how you found out about who Pete Seeger was? was like, oh, you got to listen to this comedy podcast. <laughs> I'm sure, who's Pete Seeger? I'll, I'll check that guy out. He's dead? Okay. Um, yeah, we did, a, we did a tribute show to Pete Seeger at the Kennedy Center, and it was actually a lot of fun. And um, thanks to Johnny, we got to do that. And uh, thanks to some people that are going to be on the show, we're going to talk about fascinating things that are actually going on at the Library of Congress. Once again, we're at the Library of Congress, and this is incredibly weird, and I would like to apologize to all of the guests that are going to be on the stage, because I thought I sent this suit to the dry cleaners, but I did not. And the last time I wore this suit, I slept on a friend's couch in Hell's Kitchen. So good luck up here. Uh, I no longer feel bad about smoking cigarettes, because that smell is, oh boy, have fun up here. Anyways, 
Johnny's going to play a, a few seconds, and then we're going to bring up our first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Johnny Grave, everybody. Thank you, Johnny. You're very good at what you do. <laughs> you could laugh and make fun. It's okay. Don't like talk, talk, but like it's okay to go ha 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 and ho ho ho. That's how people <laughs> laugh, I'm assuming. Anyways, <laughs> our first guest is a very nice man that I met recently via the Library of Congress, and uh, he's been nothing but great to British Young Things and this talk show and myself. They're pretty much the same thing at this point. So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the very nice Mr. Nick Brown, everybody. Nick, come to the stage that happens to be where you work. Johnny, play some music. Johnny, you could have played a little bit more music. He obviously hadn't sat down yet. It just made it really weird for us. Thanks a lot for being here. Anyways, Nick, you work here. I do. That's cool. It is. Um, you have a very good background, unlike most of the guests that are on this show. Do you want to start from the back, or do you want to start from where we are now? Whatever you'd like. Where'd you go to college? I went to Brandeis for undergrad, and I am a very proud token Catholic member of the community there. And uh, then I went to King's College London for grad school. Yeah, you're smart. No, no, I work hard. Oh, come on. You're a very smart man. You're also a musician. Yes. What kind of stuff do you play? Um, I'm a conductor, French horn player, and singer as well. Do you know who DDM is? Uh, Maybe. He's a hip-hop artist out of Baltimore. I think you guys should collaborate. I would love to see some French horn on some street hip-hop out of Baltimore. (laughs) Anyways, what got you interested in working in a place like the Library of Congress? Uh, The Library of Congress is such an amazing place because they kind of work to capture what American history is at all points in time throughout our, our, our history uh, as a nation from before we were even a nation up through the current time. And we do that through copyright deposits, special collections, holding public programs, bringing folks in for oral history interviews, and the, the gamut just runs the whole board. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but America has sometimes uh, a very sad history. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is actually the current civil rights exhibit that is on display, um, which is very sad. Yes, um, and so we have an exhibit on right now called, uh, well, it's in commemoration of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the 50th anniversary. Which is not sad. Which is not sad. It's, like, you know, but, good progress. You know. Yeah. Uh, the exhibit goes from prior to the Civil Rights Act and then through current times and showing the development of how civil rights has evolved in the U.S. for different types of communities. So um, the African-American community, the LGBT community, the Hispanic immigrant community, and so on and so forth. They, uh, the curators did a really great job in trying to represent all those different aspects um, of our history. And the, the thing about the library is that we're here to provide the primary sources for people to study them and then make up their own decisions about what we need to do or what we did wrong, what we did correct, that kind of deal. So that's actually very helpful. 
but it could get kind of heavy. Now, did you have any, uh, did you work on that exhibit in any way? Um, I've been involved in uh, the civil rights programming from the music side. Okay. So in the music division, we have a concert series that's been around since 1925. Our concerts are all free and open to the public, which is really cool. And uh, actually, an act of Congress had to be passed to build this hall that we're sitting in. And the money was given in 1925 in January. It was built and opened by October of that same year, presenting shows, which is nuts. But anyways, back to what you actually asked me. You had Mavis Staples. Yes, exactly. Who is arguably the most important musician of the civil rights movement. I'm using that word. Why am I using most important so often? Anyways, Mavis Staples <laughs> performed as part of it. It was a free show. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And we're really excited to be able to do that kind of thing for the public, to bring these artists who have been uh, an integral part of any kind of movement in American history and reintroduce them to folks who knew Mavis from back in the day and also uh, share this music with folks who might be completely new to it and might not know who Mavis Staples is or who the Staples singers were. Do people come here not knowing the Staples singers? Is, yes. that, is that an issue? Yeah. Oh, oh I, I don't think it's an, it's an... It's not necessarily an issue. No, for, that's an yeah. issue. If well, you, don't, that, you should know who that is who that group they, is. They should, but we're happy to be able to provide the opportunity for them to learn about who she is. No. So we're all about bringing in as many different audiences as possible and spreading the, the wealth of knowledge there. That's so proactive. I know. And not just me criticizing people for not knowing who exactly. Pops is. We're different people. Once again, you're better than me. No, Anyways, no. Uh, one of the parts that is very powerful in the Civil Rights Exhibit is the uh, Brown versus Board of Education yes. document that you have. Could you talk about that at all? So we have the reading copy that uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren read of the decision of Brown v. Board, and it has his personal annotations on there. And it's this kind of amazing piece of paper that was present in one of the most pivotal moments in our entire country's history. And, and here it is. And by seeing it, um, I personally think that these objects can transport us to the moment. So even, a, a, you know, like a, a copyright a deposit of sheet music, one of the, the staple singer's songs from back in the day will have the copyright deposit, and you can say, wow, this is the creative process from the beginning to the end. It's not just this crazy thing that's out in the ether where we don't know where it all came from, but it's a tangible thing here. Yeah. Uh, one of the parts that I really like about the exhibit is the Jackie Robinson letter to decide yes. to join Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. That was, there's no question there. Isn't that a cool thing? It is. People should come and check that out. They should. They should definitely check it out. And the the neat thing about that exhibit and all of our other exhibits is that they pull in things from throughout the library. So there's the Jackie Robinson letter. Uh, We have a draft manuscript of Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which is amazing. We have sheet music in there. And then we have the more um, official documents like that Brown v. Board. Um, your background is music. What is your favorite piece of music? Am I using that word? Ephemera? How do I say it? Johnny? Oh, ephemera. Ephemera, thank you. Yeah. Nick, once again, Sorry, better than me at talking. <laughs> you should host a show. Anyways, uh, there's an there's a exhibit right outside of the room that we're in right now, right outside of the yes. Coolidge. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a quick second? Sure. So um, we hold the Ira and George Gershwin collections, and we have everything from George's piano to Ira's self-portrait. To Ira's pen. Um, Would you ever commission a self-portrait of yourself? Hence the self-portrait. No, I don't think. Why I not? Because I like taking selfies. <laughs> Do you? Will that? Will there be a selfie version of the Library of Congress one day? Will there be a room dedicated to selfies? Both the TV show that is now canceled and the idea of a selfie. I think we have some in the collections already. How? What? Why? I don't know, because they're actually wait, not wait. a new thing, maybe. How are, like, physical, like, film, or, like, you're just copying Instagrams? Like, yeah, both. 
What? Yeah. So we had a really cool project um, last month for Halloween that the American Folklife Center ran, which is a part of the library, and they invited folks to send in their pictures from Halloween all over the country so that we could capture what, you know, Americans are seeing and doing for Halloween, and there were selfies in there for sure. Um, someone at the library did some research, and they figured out that the first known selfie was from the late 19, 19th century. So in the 1890s, someone with one of those old cameras actually took a selfie, which is pretty ridiculous. Okay, so you think it's ridiculous as well? Oh, I like it. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> Um, if, if you need to convince someone to come here, though, you shouldn't have to. If you had to, what would be the one selling point that you have? What's Your mind will be blown no matter what subject you're interested in, no matter what kind of music you like, no matter what kind of history you're into, no matter where you are from in the country or from the world, there is something for you here. You might have to dig a little bit or you might need to ask someone for some help, but all of our staff will be able to point you in the right direction. That's a fantastic, nice answer. Let's get to the real stuff. Uh-huh. You used to work at the White House. No, this is not a question about politics at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One question about it. Mm-hmm. How close was it to the West Wing, 1 to 10, slash, do you watch the newsroom, slash, is it the funniest show on TV or one of the funniest shows on TV? I have watched part of the newsroom. Um, I don't have an opinion about how funny it is or not. Oh, come on. Uh, it's hilarious. It is hilarious. I don't know if it's the funniest in the world or not. But it's not the funniest yeah. in the world, but I laughed so hard I woke my cat up yeah. last night. Watching. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah it's I, a silly show. Yeah. yeah. No one really talks like that. No. Oh, well. You're so nice. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> cool. um, people should come here. Obviously, we'll be saying that throughout. And uh, I'm, there's, it's so weird. I usually end interviews like, what do you have to plug? Um, plug, come to the Library of Congress. I have a BYT plug. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. do that. That's so, a perfect one. The Library of Congress is very excited to be working with BYT this season. And uh, BYT and the library are presenting a series of 80s musicals for films in January, including, yes, Xanadu, because we all need to see people in rollerblades on Capitol Hill. So yeah, it makes sense. Check it out. It's free. Um, they're on Friday nights in January, the last three Fridays of January, and we're looking forward to many more collaborations. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Nick Brown, everybody. Nick, Johnny, play him off. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. I'm worried now, but I won't be worried long. Went down to the riverbank, laid me down to sleep. Went down to the riverbank, laid me down to sleep. I went down to the riverbank, laid me down to sleep when I woke up. Cold iron shackles on my feet. It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. I'm worried now. Oh, but I won't be worried long. I asked the judge what may be my fine I asked the judge what may be my fine I asked the judge said what may be my fine he said fifty dollars and eleven twenty nine takes a worried man sing a worried song 
Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. I'm worried now. Oh, but I won't be worried long. I looked down the track as far as I could see. I looked down the track just as far as I could see. Looked down the track just as far as I could see. Little bit of hand, always waving after me. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song. Takes a worried man. Sing a worried song. I'm worried now, but I won't be worried long. I'm worried now. Oh, but I won't be worried long. I'm worried now. Johnny Graver, everybody. Should we tell the people the name of that song, or should we make them guess? <laughs> I like being in a room where I could hear your boots uh, being used as bass and or drums. It's nice. Sometimes you can't really... Johnny always wears cowboy boots because he's from Silver Spring, and you know Silver Spring guys <laughs> love wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats. Anyways, he uses them as an instrument, and I'd say half the places you play, it doesn't really come in handy, but every once in a while, it's a nice surprise. I've actually at, at Velvet Lounge, Velvet Lounge on, uh, on 9th and U Street, which is a great venue. I, you're it's, rolling your yeah, eyes. <laughs> it's an audio <laughs> podcast. It's, yeah. It's, a, um, it's an awful venue, and it smells terrible. Um, the, uh, at the Velvet Lounge, the stage is actually carpeted, and I, I asked Aristotle, who's the, uh, the sound guy there, I asked Aristotle to give me a, um, if, if I could use a, this sheet of plywood he had used to, uh, to bolster mic stands to the wall. Um, and we used it. He, he mic'd it up and it sounded great. I played the Velvet Lounge about eight months later and they still had the piece of plywood and he kept it there for me. I showed up late. I, I, I ran out of wait, the metro. Wait, wait, wait. Do you think that they kept it there for you or it's such a poorly run venue that he, it, they just didn't specifically, notice? I, the latter is certainly true, but I, I, did, I, <laughs> I, I asked him... Um, I said, is that the same piece of plywood that I use? Because it has the same holes drilled in it. And he, he said, yeah, I kept that here for you. Well, that's, he's a nice liar. So anyways, uh, Johnny's here all night. Uh, Susan, thanks for doing this. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about sports because all my dreams get to come true. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Susan Rayburn, everybody. Susan. Johnny, you learned, you played until she sat down, and I sat down. It was perfect. Good job. He didn't do that last time. You weren't here. It didn't it was... work in rehearsal? No. Sorry. It was rehearsal? <laughs> we, don't, we don't need that stuff. Sports. Let's get into it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, you work, you, what's your actual title? Writer, editor, publishing office, Library of Congress. And you actually have published books about things that I'm interested in. Only things that you're interested in. Thank you so much. Are you published books about baseball? Yes, Baseball Americana. And? Football Nation, 400 Years of America's Game. Is there a book about Mr. Rogers coming out soon? I would like to say so, but I can't. Okay. Well, maybe you do that next, and then we'll talk about everything. Let's go with baseball. Uh, why, doesn't, why don't people like it anymore? Why is it just me and four other guys? Well, um, there are several of us at the library that show up at Nationals games. In fact, um, the day after the Nats 
<laughs> the day after the Nets had that marathon six-hour, 23-minute game. When they lost. When they lost. The next morning I was in a meeting. Seven of us were there. Six of us had been at the game. Five of us had stayed the entire time. That's both ni- nice and very depressing. I'm, I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I can appreciate it. Can, appreciate can you? It. Yeah. Because it's fun to laugh at me. Mm-hmm. Who's your team? Obviously, I, I grew up a Dodgers fan, Los okay. Angeles Dodgers fan. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on these like massive? Con- I know that we're not supposed to be. We're talking about the Library of Congress is great. Come to the Library of Congress. Let's talk about contracts. Okay, the current contract with the Marlins guy. You got you got the Kemp contract in L.A. Do you think these contracts are a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I think they're a horrible thing. Why? Well, I think it's. I think that they're pricing themselves out. They're going to price themselves out of the game. That they've raised the prices to uh, accommodate these tickets, mm-hmm. and you can't take a family to a game. Um, Several times a season. I mean, no. it's really going to bust the family budget. True. So, no, I think they, they've started to price themselves right out, of, right out of business. Is there any team that's doing it correctly? Uh, <laughs> I'm not aware of them, if there is. Fair. Um, that's fair. Um, I've, I've, I'm able to get in on a friend's partial season ticket plan for the Nats games, and so that works. But, um, no, I think it's a shame that you can't take families, really, anymore. That it's, yeah. that it's become a, um, a single person's or a wealthy person's game. Well, football's much worse. Oh, it's even worse, yes. Even you also worse. write about that. And, okay. and on several levels. Yeah. yeah. Do, you have a, do, you have a, do you have a horse in this race? Do you care about any team specifically? Well, I grew up a Los Angeles Rams fan, but then I lost no, them. Yeah. yeah, so I had to adopt the Ravens, the, the Baltimore Ravens, when I came to town. Yeah, is there a team to... Okay, I, I, okay. here's the thing. I want to talk to you about football and stuff, but I don't want to get you in trouble. And I feel like if we have any real conversation about football, someone's going to get in trouble here because you just mentioned the Ravens, and there's like two people that instantly come to mind, and both of them, that's bad. Anyways, why did you decide to write about baseball? Why did you decide to spend so many of your years devoted to a sport and then football? What, what about it draws you in? It wasn't actually my idea to do the baseball book. That came from Harry Katz, who was the former curator of the Prints and Photographs Division at the library. Really? And he participated, and he knew, of course, that there were these gems, these incredible things in yeah. our collection. And the more we looked around the library, it was astonishing. I think even Cooperstown was pretty blown away by how much we have here uh, and how much we have here on every sport. You yeah. know, you want to do the definitive study on curling, this isn't really a bad place to come and visit. Has that um, happened yet? <laughs> no, I'm waiting for that also. Fair. But um, we've got books, you know, going back to the, to the 18th century, 19, uh, 17th century that, that discuss early, early sports, that discuss rules, that discuss uh, sports constitutions, things like that. So as we looked around to do baseball, we thought, oh, my gosh, look at this. You've got uh, things in the music division because, of course, baseball has great baseball songs. Yeah. You go into, um, but, you know, there are Broadway shows. You know, Gwen Verdon was, was um, working on Broadway, um, Damn Yankees. Things like that. Of course, yes. Um, You go into manuscripts. We've got the Branch Rickey collection, and within that are the Jackie Robinson papers. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could go almost anywhere in the library and find samples that related back to baseball. Do you find that going more and more away in in more football? Because we both know, like, football's a much more popular sport. There are now more hip-hop songs about football than baseball. (laughs) Do you feel like in 100 years there'll be this wealth of information that translates to every form of pop culture and culture in general about football? Will there be a musical about football? Will the blind side be turned into a musical? Right. Well, and you know, you you had Lombardi on Broadway. Oh, that's uh, right. Not long ago. Starring the dad from The Wonder Years. Exactly. Exactly. That was the guy. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I do this. I could throw out any Wonder Years reference. And so... Do you think Paul was Marilyn Manson? Anyways, go back to what you were just saying. (laughs) That was dumb. I had to mention that. I think that's the first time Marilyn Manson has been uttered in this auditorium. I did it, guys. Anyways, um, are you watching football? Do you watch football? 
I do, but um, I don't watch as much because um, ever since my cable service provider improved my service, I got fewer stations. <laughs> so, so I don't see as much as I used to. But um, it is, it's, watching it is different, actually. It really is different nowadays, knowing what we know about what may happen to so many of these players. Yeah. And that's a scary thing. That's Absolutely. a really scary thing. When you were, what was more depressing to write, the baseball book or the football book? What a horrible question. I'm sorry. <laughs> to me, baseball doesn't seem as sad. The no. history of baseball is horribly depressing. But as we ended up with the football book, you know, we ended up talking about a lot of the issues that have been going on really since the 80s yeah. that became public. Everything from um, steroids and drug abuse to what happened at Penn State yeah. to the uh, increase again in, in, in player contracts and domestic violence and things like that. But that's also simply a reflection of society. And so if you're going to be depressed about it in football, you've also really got to be depressed about it in general in society. Do you really think it's a reflection of society? Though? I do. I do. But 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when, when this stuff started, a lot of those guys, like, it, wasn't, it was a part-time job, mm-hmm. right? It was oh, six it was. months a year, I'm going to go sell cars. And you, and you had to find a second job for the off-season, absolutely. Exactly. And then it, it turned into a full-time job, and it got more and more specialized and less and less players in theory, or in reality. So w- all it did was sort of, I don't think it's a reflection of society. I think it's, I think it's just a highly, it's become highly specialized. It is it, the, the player positions and all that is highly specialized, but I don't think what we're seeing among those players is really all that much different from, we, from what we see in a lot of the population. Well, please give me an example. Well, I think what we're seeing in terms of the domestic violence, which was hushed up for a long time in yeah. the NFL, certainly was going on and we were well aware of oh, in true. society. Yes, that absolutely. sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, let's go to positive stuff. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, ooh, I'm just realizing now sports aren't fun. Um, ooh, did you like? I like the Bears. Any of these? Go Bears. Are, uh, can't, you know what's going on with like McMahon currently? Yes. It's, it's and I thought you wanted to go to something positive. I know. I went to the '85 Bears and it got instantly sad like right away. That's the, let's talk about something positive. Tell me something about how sports relates to the Library of Congress. Let's go super well, the libra- general. The Library of Congress. If you're going to do a, a biography on a sports figure, or if you want to do the uh, history, a, a major history on a sports, or if you want to go back to even. Um, researching a really rare or forgotten or seldom played sport, this is a really good place to start. Give me a tidbit that you've learned, maybe about a sport that is very under the radar. Not curling, because we've already covered that, but something like that. Well, um, you can get a book called The Art of Swimming that was uh, published in 1789. Find out how they did it 18th century style. How do they do it 18th century style? (laughs) Pretty much the same way we do it now. I'm guessing the water was dirtier. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing is you can go back and you can find some of the early roots of sports here. You can find early commentary on sports. And one of the things you'll find is that they're making the same comments back then that we're making today. There's almost nothing that's showing up in sports columns today that somebody wasn't writing about 100 years ago. Are there any sports writers that you currently enjoy? I love Phil Taylor, who is a columnist for Sports Illustrated. I, I think he's terrific. What are your thoughts about sabermetrics and stuff like Grantland? We're doing more number stuff. You're smiling and like, like I don't think that's well, that I'm, any I'm not holds a, water. I'm not a number geek myself. Really? Um, unless it's a date, fine. But if it's if it's uh, if so, but I need someone else to do the math for me. You know that works better. Okay. But I like finding out the uh, what the what the um, 
what the final results are. And I don't think that's a bad thing, actually. Um, I think this also brought people who into, into baseball in particular who might not have, who are looking at this and are saying, you know, that, I've never thought about that before. But when you, when you look at that, and I've got friends who, um, guys who said the only reason that they followed, that they really did well in math was because they wanted to figure out the batting averages and they wanted to figure all that stuff out. Yeah. So I think that works. I don't see any downside to it. I'm sorry. I, no. I, it changes the game completely. I like how we're talking about stuff that only I enjoy. I'm sorry, everyone in the room. I understand completely. But, you know, I went to a, I went to a baseball conference a couple of years ago, and the Sabre guys, the Sabre guys were there. And one of, the th- one of the topics, this was one of the topics, yes. was what is the difference in a catcher's batting average following innings when he has gotten on base? Is there a difference? Because the rule of thumb always was that a, ba- a, batter's, um, a, a catcher's batting average was going to go down, you know, as the game wore on. Uh-huh. He was going to be more tired. It's negligible, just so you know. That makes sense. I mean, you're seeing more pitches. It's usually people hit better later in the game. So why would it be any different? Because, because he's, their he's, knees were worn out. And he's a little. He's going to be a little more tired than than you know probably the guy in right. He's also talking more smack though, and can possibly <laughs> especially if it's the NL, you can get in the other pitcher's head. You kind of know what's going on. Uh, what's your favorite dirty player of all time? I don't have one. Oh come on, really? No, I liked Merlin Olson. Come on, he was a he was a gentleman. You yeah, but okay, whatever. <laughs> Who's your favorite Raven now? Um, well, I do, li- I, I, I do like Joe Flacco. I do like him. You don't think that contract's a little uh, inflated? I like the fact that his first meal after signing that contract was McDonald's. <laughs> oh, is that good? Yes. And so there's a guy Listen, who's, he's still grounded. Listen, if you can poisoned by watching men destroy each other physically and emotionally, <laughs> have some McDonald's for the family. It's just a good... That's right. I mean, I th- he took the kids. You can't, <laughs> oh, that's you, so bad. You can't, you can't argue with that. McDonald's is a proud sponsor of the show. I'd like to thank oh, them. Well, good. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if McDonald's sponsored me? Anyways, um, <laughs> give me. Are there? You mentioned some songs about sports. Mm-hmm. Could you give me an obscure one that maybe only the Library of Congress has that just is absurd? Oh, there there are so many of them. And when I mean, is there I, a section for that, like sports songs? Well, yeah. There's a whole section on fight songs. I spent a lot of time researching fight songs for the football book. Oh, like so, so Notre Dame fight songs, oh, not like right, Lewis but, versus. Yeah, and okay. then you, and then you find out you've got these these songwriters out there who were really guns for hire who would write you know a song for Tennessee and then they go to Michigan State and they'd write theirs you know so the the loyal you know no they would just want to be paid, um, but the the words are quite limited in fight songs you know you're not going to find a, a large vocabulary it's pretty much like go 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 but some of them are hysterical are really are really fun to read, and um, the fact that, that yes, we, we've got this collection that has come in over the years, really starting in the early 20th century when fight songs, you know, were being written, um, and you, you've got people like Cole Porter writing them, you know, yeah. as college students, um, and I, I, do, I do like the, the, the uh, oh, what is his name, um, Tom Lehrer, um, who was a, a musical comedian out of Harvard and who wrote a song for Harvard Fight, Harvard Fight, but it was done in a very polite, genial way. We don't want to hurt them, but fight, Harvard Fight, you know. He didn't get it. Um, he got it no, oh, no, he got it. He, he, got, he got it all right. But that's, I mean, that's a wonderful thing you could find here are things that not just about the sports themselves, but these ancillary and these associated areas of sports. Things about the fans. Yeah. Things about fan culture. Um, you can certainly find. We've got things like the, the memoirs of Supreme Court justices and congressmen who, when they were in college, were ushers or cheerleaders and attended games regularly and are talking about that sort of thing. And so you're getting, you're getting a, a perspective from people who weren't famous at the time and who were just letting you know. Um, Do we have any information from a former president that played lineman at Michigan? You, oh, you mean Mr. Ford? Yes. We do, and and um, he he really was a, he really was a good guy. When Michigan was 
um, was about to play uh, Georgia, and Georgia was, went up to Michigan, they were upset that Michigan had a black player. You know, this is the early 1930s. And the problem wasn't so much that they were going to be playing against Michigan with a good player. It was that they couldn't have it reported back in the South that they had played in a... Um, mm-hmm you know, an integrated team. And Ford said to the team and to the coach that if if he doesn't play, I'm not playing either. And and he stuck to it. And um, as it turned out, you know, they they made an arrangement in which one player from Georgia would not play and one player, or Georgia Tech would not play and one one player from Michigan would not play. And Ford and this this fellow remained friends for the rest of their lives. And so... Um, no, there were, there were some wonderful things we did find out about him besides the trick knee, you know, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. of that. Yeah. That's actually really nice. It, should we end is. on that or should we talk about a president that was a cheerleader? That's your call, dude. <laughs> all right, let's do that. I don't work here. Let's definitely talk about that. Do you have any uh, little tidbits about that? I'm not, sh- I'm not aware of anything in our collections that relate to that specifically, but those might be things that we would find coming into the library at a later date. Yeah. Yeah. That's silly. Uh-huh. Do you think presidents should have to be cheerleaders for football teams? Sorry, that's a dumb question. That's, not, that's a gender-neutral question I would like to point out. No, I just, I just think they ought to be competent um, snowboarders. I don't ask for much from my elected officials. <laughs> You're asking for way too much. Sorry, just playing something in my head right now. Um, do you know the song, The Cubbies Are Rockin'? The Cubbies Are Rockin'? That was a 1990 rap song that two guys put out about I don't how know the Cubs how it happened, but I missed were it. pretty good. Yeah, I think I know more than the Library of Congress right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, this is a very personal question to me. Was there a song that correlated to the Icky Shuffle, or was it just a dance? <laughs> you know, he's doing that commercial exactly. now. Exactly. And, and I had to commercial. explain to my wife why that's actually a very good commercial. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I always liked it when he, when he did his dance. You know, there very well could be. I, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. I want to I find that out. Let's, let's find well, that out together. Well, you, you can, do, you can to start here. You can start here. You're a very nice woman. Are you based out of here, or are you based out of a far, far away place? No, I'm, I'm here at the library. You're one of the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. We have somebody that's coming up later that's from far away. Right, right, right. Oh, boy. No, it's Man. good being up here on the hill. This is a wonderful institution. We've got wonderful stuff here. And it's so great. Um, you, if you've never been to the Library of Congress, but you've been to a Nats game, you might have seen the presidents run through this place. Well, and what you could do is you could go into the Great Hall... And you could look at the murals on the ceilings, and you would see that we've got some wonderful um, Olympic gods up on the ceiling. And they're, they're wrestling, they're running, and they're, they're throwing javelins and discus and things like that. Then you go to the other side, and you see the American version. And you see our baseball team, and you see our football team. Naked, but, you know, they're, hey, that's... Um, cool Ameri- bros. That's, that's part of the Greek Olympic heroic tradition. Yeah. And those went up in 1897, and they've, they've been there ever since. That's awesome. You're a nice person, and I enjoyed my time speaking with you Thank on this Thank you, stage. Brandon. I enjoyed it, too. Did you have an okay too. time? Oh, I, had a, I had a very good time. I'm going to find you that single I have of the Cubbies are rocking. Oh, please Cub do. Power. Please Ladies do. Job, please put your hands together for Susan Rayburn, everybody. Susan! Freight train, freight train going so fast 
Freight train, freight train going so fast. Please don't tell them what train I'm on, so they won't know which route I have gone. When I die, just bury me deep down at the foot of Old Chestnut Street, so I can hear old Number Nine as she goes roaring on by. Freight train, freight train going so fast. Freight train, freight train going so fast. Please don't tell them what train I'm on, so they won't know which route I have gone. So when I'm dead and in my grave, no more good times do I crave. Place a tombstone at my head and my feet, and tell my friends that I've gone home to sleep. Freight train, freight train going so fast. Freight train, freight train going so fast. Please don't tell them what train I'm on. So they won't know which route I have gone. Freight train, freight train going so fast. Freight train, freight train going so fast. Please don't tell them what train I'm on, so they won't know which route I have gone. Johnny Grave, everybody. You're good at what you do. Keep doing it. Gene, lovely. I'm going to bring up something that might be able to help you in your future and hopefully you're present. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Gene Deanna, everybody. Gene, the stage area is yours. Johnny, that was perfect. Thanks, <laughs> sorry. Gene, what's your actual title? I'm the head of the recorded sound section at the Library of Congress. I have right here, head of recorded sound, motion picture broadcasting, and recorded sound division. Nah, the motion pictures, that's somebody else. I apologize completely. Okay. So, what does that mean? <laughs> what exactly does your job entail? Well, basically, I oversee the world's largest record collection. Uh, it's about three and a half million items. Do you think that's too many? I think it's too many. Agreed. Okay. So people should stop recording music is what you're saying. Actually, if they could take a five or six year hiatus, that would be good, and then start up again, and maybe we could get caught up with all of the stuff that's coming in just digitally. That would be very helpful, yeah. How long have you been at the Library of Congress? Or not? Have you seen an explosion in recorded music since it's become so much easier to release a record? Absolutely. Although the, 
the first big explosion in my career was the cassette. Okay. The, 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 uh, the audio cassette made everybody a folklorist. It made everybody um, uh, want to deposit a sound recording for copyright. And we are the copyright repository of the United States. So yeah, it's fun. A lot of cassettes came our way. Yeah. Uh, and so being able to select suddenly became a really important part of the job. Yeah. When you ever were low on rent, would you just grab a bunch of records and bring them to a secondhand store? Definitely not. Hear me out there? No. Never. <laughs> do you miss those days? Does anybody even do that, or is everything now just digital? Oh, no. We still have... We, we are still acquiring cylinders. I mean, things come in... But that's uh, cool, yeah, and actually. I mean, we're, still, we're getting but, everything all the time. The entire history of the recorded, of recorded sound technology is alive because it's coming to us, you know, every day. Have a, I could have a box with a hard drive of, of uh, wave files with 17 wax cylinders stuck in between them. So. Has that, does that happen often? It happens often enough to confound us, yes. That's kind of neat. What do you do with those? Like, here's a shelf, live there now. What well, the cylinders are a lot easier to deal with than the files, quite honestly. I mean, the cylinders, we can look at the uh, label, we can look them up in discographies, we can find some history on the performers, but if whoever sent us the hard drive didn't bother to provide us with any real documentation or didn't name the files so that we could associate them. Oh, so people just send you stuff that's like, this well, is no, one, that's this a little is bit two. Of exaggeration. But we get things with really minimal information. Really, it's very, it can be very difficult. And, and you can't defer it. You can't try to punt something into a server and say, we'll get to those files. Yeah. You know, somebody else can deal with that. You really have to deal with them uh, as they come in, whereas we can kind of put physical items on a shelf, know what they are, and get to them in a sort of a prioritized way. It's a little easier right now. Do you listen to music at home? I do listen to music at home. A do lot. you choose the music, or do you just put it on a radio station because your entire job, you've heard too much stuff? You can't possibly pick. You know, I used to hear a lot of music on the job, mm -hmm. but now basically what I do is email and go to meetings. Uh, and oh, other, people, other people get to listen to the recordings. I just sort of take their advice from most of these things, and I look at the recordings, and I go, yeah, those are great. I wish I could hear them, but I can't. Do you have a good enough ear where you can tell, like, an uncompressed WAV file versus, like, a 48-bit MP3? I Maybe not I in a set of headphones, but in a, in a room with, some, with, with real listening, with real sound uh, quality, yes, I can tell the difference. You can tell the difference? Yes, absolutely. Do you have a preference for your music at home? Is it on vinyl? Is it just an uncompressed waveform? What is it? I play CDs still. I don't play okay. much vinyl. Um, my turntable is in kind of bad shape, so I need to replace it. I still have the vinyl. So you're like um, all of but us. But I also, you know, I, I really have to say I love Spotify. You love Spotify! <laughs> What are your thoughts on Taylor Swift? I don't have any, really. Does the Library of Congress have an official stance on Taylor Swift and her album 1989? No, not official. There are many unofficial stances. I'm assuming it's dividing the entire library right we now. We welcome her copyright deposits. <laughs> Do you ever go into bars and use it as a pickup line? Sorry, that was rude. Okay. You have to deal with... <laughs> you laughed at that. Good. You work in Culpeper. Yes. Cool. Sorry, I'm sorry. You, these beautiful people get to be in this beautiful spot, and you're in Culpepper with all this stuff. You saw the Sopranos episode where Culpepper was mentioned, right? No. Okay, that's right. <laughs> Did you just threaten to murder me? <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, Culpepper is fabulous. It's only an hour and a half away, and I work one day a week here as well in the yeah. reading room. Because we have a, 
the public reading room for sound recordings is here. Yes. We don't make researchers drive to Culpeper. The, the Culpeper facility is, is the National Audiovisual Conservation Center, and that's where we do all of the digitization of sound and video. And also we have a film lab to preserve film. Now, when you say the digitization of the music, uh, has that changed in the past five years, or are you still using the same stuff because that's how you started? Do you see what I mean? Well, in, in audio, we've been lucky enough to have an international standard for preservation for about six or seven years. So we've been, we've been able to lock down a file format that we feel comfortable with, the resolution that we think is, is preservation quality, and so go with that. And video, it's been a little longer to nail some of that mm-hmm. down. So we've, in audio, I think we've, we've pretty much held the line with a 9624 WAV file. Okay. Is the issue more of making sure everything is uh, categorized correctly and cataloged correctly, or is it more of an issue of making sure we have everything and we're not forgetting any sound. Because I feel like now it's incredibly easy to hear whatever, whenever. you got to let go having everything. I mean, it's, just, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we try to do is get as much of a sense as, of what we can, of what's being produced out there, what we aren't receiving, and try to fill some gaps. But it's just overwhelming. We don't have the staff. There are about 40 people in the recorded sound section, um, including our reference staff here downtown. And the engineers that do the digitization, the, the catalogers and technicians and managers. So not enough people to encompass the world's production on recorded sound. Yeah. Just not possible. Are you a musician? No, I play guitar. Fair enough, fair enough. Do you have any advice for musicians? When it comes to preserving their music? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you don't want to discount what you're doing as a young artist. You, you want to make sure you're, you're keeping it. Uh, a lot of musicians tend to think, well, there's better, more and better to come later, maybe so, but I think you want to make sure you're backing your music files up. Uh, there isn't a great small-scale digital preservation, digital file storage solution for you. You have to know that. The best thing you can do is have multiple hard drive backups of your stuff, and you should be sending um, anything you publish to the Library of Congress. Are you sure you want them to do that? Yeah. Okay. Where can they do that? Do they just go to the website and it's all there? Absolutely. If if you go to the... I should back up and specify that. You should be copywriting it. You should be copywriting your your finished music. And if you do that, it comes to the Library of Congress. Fantastic. And you get a copyright. And you seem to enjoy what you do. I do. That's cool. Would you recommend other people going into this for a career? You know, it's hard to say. There aren't exactly a whole lot of sound archives opening, and, you know, it's a, it's a struggle. Archives in general are struggling now, so. Besides you, what is there? Is it just personal archives, or is... No, no, there are, there are university archives, okay, terrific yes, university yes, yes. archives of sound and, and video. But you're like a number one for sound archives, and you're better than every other university. I think so. That's cool, man. Uh, you want to hear uh, uh, a demo my band recorded when we were 17? You sure we don't already have it? You might have it. It's pretty good. Um, do you like industrial remixes of Garage Rock? Because we've got a bunch of those, too. Absolutely. As long as you catalog them for us. <laughs> I like that you're consistent. Um, I feel like we should plug something here, but uh, people know what sound is because you're listening to a podcast. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing I would like people to know about, because it's our most publicly accessible collection, is the National Jukebox. If you haven't looked at that website, I think everybody should. 
Oh, so. one of the things I like about the National Jukebox website is there's like uh, a warning like this may contain sensitive language. <laughs> it's may, all may of recorded well. sound. You might want to, <laughs> there might be some Fs. Well, I'm not going to say that because I'm in a classy place. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I want people to know about it. It's, it's a, it's a it's, because of the copyright restrictions on recorded sound, we have a lot of, there are an awful lot that we have that we cannot put out there on the web, but we got a license from Sony to put out their acoustic era, that is pre-1925, catalog. We have 10,300 uh, sides, 78 sides on the site. We've got 10,000 more to add this year, so we're really excited about it. So, like, Jack White is incredibly jealous of you. Jack White's come through pretty well for us. He's Whatever, I'm just up. trying to make a joke, and no one laughed, and now I just seem like Don't, a mean You're guy. not going to get me to say anything bad about Jack White. Has Dave Grohl played here yet? No. Cool. I just wanted to see if I was... The one place Dave Grohl hasn't performed yet in D.C. I think I found it. Gene, I like you a lot. I think what you do is very cool. Thank you. All right, cool. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Gene Deanna, everybody. Where you wake up in the morning, you hear the ding dong ring. You go marching to the table You see the same damn thing I've been fork on the table Nothing in my pain Oh, you say anything about it You in trouble with the man You let the midnight special, baby Shine a light on me You let the midnight special Shine a light on me Now you go down to Houston, baby Oh, you better walk right Oh, you better not stagger in you And you better not fight Sheriff Brady will arrest you, mom Yes, sir, he'll take you down Oh, you say anything about it Hell, you jailhouse bound You let the midnight special, baby Shine a light on me You let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special, baby Shine a light on me You let the midnight special Shine a light on me Now you ought to come, Miss Rosie Nothing in her hand I can tell her by her apron And the dress that she wore The umbrella on her shoulder The piece of paper in her hand She going marching up to the cabin And she said Said I want my man He let the midnight special, baby Shine a light on me you let the midnight special mama shine a light on me. You let the midnight special baby shine a light on me. You let the midnight special baby shine a light on me.
midnight special, baby. Shine a light on me. You let the midnight special, mama. Shine a light on me. Let the midnight special, baby. Shine a light on me. You let the midnight special shine ever loving light on me. Johnny Gray, that's loud. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I feel bad. Okay, so we have a very nice sound man, and um, I decided for some stupid reason to hold both microphones between every segment, making it damn near impossible for him to mix. And the one thing I told him before the show is, don't worry, I'm louder than everybody else. And that's true, making his job much more difficult. Sorry about that, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage is someone that is actually, uh, this is perfect. He, we're going to talk about Pete Seeger. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Todd Harvey, everybody. Todd, come to the stage. This is yours. Nice to meet you. I'm Brandon. Much better, Johnny. Thank you. Todd, how are you? I'm well. Where'd you get this guy? He's playing my stuff. He's playing the... Uh... When you say your stuff, do you mean you own the Pete Cedar catalog? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I take care of a lot of the things that he's playing. That's why I spend a lot of time in the stacks looking at papers and recordings and things. Yeah, why? Why? Because somebody has to, and it's a lot of fun. No, no, that's the thing. Somebody doesn't have to. You're doing good work. No one has to do that. No, really, they do. They do. They I like do. your ideas. Okay, so what is actually your title when it comes to the Library of Congress? Well, I'm a folk life specialist, and, and I, I help people to use our collections, the uh, collections of the American Folk Life Center. Uh, what made you interested in that? Do you really hate electric guitars? No, no, we have some great electric guitar music, but uh, I, I, I also like the, the older stuff. So if you're, if you're looking for anything relating to Guthrie or Seeger or... Uh, or Lead Belly or Lomax, I'm the guy you come to. Uh, yes, but you're not 100 years old. What initially got you interested? Were you a teenager? Were you in college? What made you gravitate towards this music? I have no idea. Really? Yeah. There wasn't like a moment. Because you went to school in Ohio, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And then you went to get a library science degree. That's right. And then that, that's a very vague thing, though. Library science could lead you to anywhere. What led you to folk life specially? I, I guess it's the money. Yeah. <laughs> That was the best joke yet. <laughs> well, that's good. I can't top that. What do you think of guys like Johnny? Because Johnny plays original music. Johnny's the guy behind you. He plays original music, but he also plays these covers. He plays the Seeker thing. We did the Seeker show together. Do you think it's important? Do you think he should be focusing on his own music? Are there enough people already doing Seeker stuff? What should somebody like him be doing? No, no, he should be doing just what he's doing. I mean, it, it, it's always been a mix of original material and traditional material. If you look at Pete Seeger's repertoire, that's what it was. You look at Lead Belly, you look at any of these people. Yeah. He's doing just what they did. What's some of the Pete, give me a Pete Seeger uh, tidbit that isn't well known, that wasn't in American Masters or the American Experience. Pete Seeger was the first intern at the American Folklife Center. That was in the documentary, dude. I saw it. <laughs> Sorry, that's the gotcha in me. I got the gotcha media thing going on right now. I, I don't know what you know. I know a lot of stuff. Do you know about the icky shuffle? <laughs> that's a callback. I apologize. Anyways, 
Are there any artists now that are floating your boat, or is are you are you you're, because of your job you're kind of like forced to listen to this already amazing stuff, but stuff that's been recorded like 50 years ago? Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I'm kind of rooted in the 1930s and 1940s at the moment. I don't really pay attention, except who's this Taylor Swift person you're talking about? She's got a record. It's called 1989. It's the year she was born, which makes her very very old. She's an old soul. She's also the representative of all of New York City right now, which is actually true. She gets paid by the city of New York to be herself. But Jean has her records, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll ask Jean about it's it. It's fine. If I'm a big PC Seeger fan, why should I come to the Library of Congress? The Library of Congress has uh, a bulk of Pete's published recordings, plus a whole lot of unpublished stuff. And in fact, we're the kind of repository of record for the Seeger family going back to the 1930s. And so it's, a, it's just a great place to come and do research. If I'm a musician, could I look at that unpublished material and possibly create something from that? Or is that too much of a murky law thing? <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that. I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that you can look at it. I don't know if you can use it. It's probably best to get the permission of the family if it's some unpublished song yeah. lyrics or something like well, that. Well, I ask because the recent, I'm sure you know about, I don't know if you know about this, uh, the Basement Tapes with Dylan and that new record called The Basement Tapes, and it's just uh, his lyrics that uh, Elvis Costello, I think one of the Mumford or Sons, and Carolina Chocolate Traps, and another musician. I'm giving you all these details that aren't important to the story. They wrote music for it and are now using those. I was wondering if that's a possibility at all for the Pete Seeger stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sure they got... Who is this? Dylan, Dylan, Dylan Thomas? Dylan Thomas, yes. The famous basement tapes, Dylan yeah, Thomas. Yeah, those were great. He's a good guy. Great. Lo and behold, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Pete Seeger stuff, the family owns it. You know, it's their yeah. intellectual property. You've got to get the permission. But we're in a new age, man. We're just going to steal it anyways. Is that cool with you? <laughs> not, not here at the Library of Congress. Thanks. I like that you're ethical. We, we are, yeah. Why don't you think more people are ethical? That's a dumb question. Sorry. Okay. Um, honestly, doesn't this stuff get boring to you? You're, you're covering the same, same guys over and over again. It doesn't get boring? No, no, no. I, I, um, I find that it's a really big body of material, and I'll probably never get through it. I mean, it would take me 145 years just to listen to all the recordings in our archive. What if you listen to them at double? That's dumb. Okay. <laughs> who, are, who are some of the unsung heroes that you've discovered? Probably those, Or do you even know their names? Because a lot of this stuff, there might not even be a name attached. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's true that the, there are a certain number of names that get uh, used again and again, the kind of canon of the Folklife Center, but there are um, a, a thousand other performers who are just as good and just as interesting. And, and uh, you know, people can come to our website and listen to a lot of recordings and, and uh, look at a lot of photographs and explore that. It's really neat what you do. Or not. I don't know. It's your life. Do you think it's neat? Yeah, yeah. I have the best job in the world. What about astronaut? About what? Astronaut. Is an astronaut a better job? No, no, no. <laughs> what if you were like a crazy... Okay, I can't go into dirty stuff here. Okay. What's your favorite Pete Seeger song? Favorite Pete Seeger song? That's a tough one because there are so many, but... Um, you know, I was I was thinking about this, and and um, you probably don't know this, but uh, P 
Pete co-wrote a lot of the songs on the Frank Zappa album, Sheik Your Booty. Are you fibbing? I don't know. Uh, turn, Turn, Turn's a pretty good song. <laughs> You're fun. I feel like the more I talk, the dumber I'm... I'm obviously dumber than you. And the more obvious that becomes to the rest of the Did people. Did you know that no. Libba Cotton actually lived here on Capitol Hill about six blocks away? You were playing freight train a little bit ago. She... She lived in one of those row houses down there, just nearby. Where, you, cool? where you live. <clears throat> I live in Libby. No. I like, I hope you never tell me where you live. I hope this is a big secret and it becomes a thing. And you don't tell anybody where you live. And you're just a mystery man. I know where Jean Deanna lives. <laughs> How's your address book? Pretty big? I, you know, it, it's really fun. I found uh, Alan Lomax's address book from the 1940s, and, and he has Pete Seeger's address in there and Libba Cotton's address. Someone should do a fun tour on that. I'm sure there's enough people that would actually... I'd be interested in going on, like, a Alan Lomax tour. Has, does that exist, an Alan Lomax tour? I thought about it. But you should do that. Can, can we do this as your next episode? Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we could call. devote six weeks to just retracing Alan Lomax's steps. I'm, I, was, I mean, think about like how many like whiskey tours are very yeah. popular right now. Or like, I want to go to Stacks, or I want to go see Chess. Well, that's, I mean, without Alan Lomax doing this stuff, there isn't a lot of this stuff. Well, you, you know, should, his yeah. FBI file has a ton of stuff about where he lived, and, and they even interviewed some of his neighbors. This is Alan Lomax, not Pete Seeger, of course. Seger, of yes. course. And, and they said on weekends, the elder Lomax, and this is confidential, of course, the elder Lomax um, used to play hillbilly music, uh, become intoxicated, and break up the furniture. Let's retrace that! That sounds like a lot of fun! Listen, I love hillbillies, I love music, and I like breaking furniture. You and me, buddy. Buddy cop film, but no cops, we're just buddies. I don't trust authority. Just bring that guy along. Oh, yeah, he's in the back the whole time. We just belittle him and tell him when to play. <laughs> it's pretty great. Do you want to throw a really, really, really obscure song title at his way where he obviously does not know the title, and then you could be like, oh, you're not a real musician because you don't know this obscure Pete Seeger song? Or you could just name one that he probably does know, and he'll play it. No, but I'm delighted with whatever he's going to play next. Perfect. Um, people could find this Pete Seeger stuff where? Go to the Library of Congress site. American Folklife Center website. That's right. And is there anything here that people could check out in the building or no? The American Folklife Center is in this building. I, I understand that, but <laughs> but is any of the Pete Seeger stuff like uh, on display or accessible or do you need like a special thing? No, just come to the Folklife Reading Room. I like this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Todd Harvey, everybody. Todd. <laughs>
Well, Casey Jones was a noble engineer Told his fireman not to fear All I want is my water and my coal Look out my window, see those driving wheels roll It was on a Wednesday morning Came a shower of rain Round a curve it is saw the passenger train In that cabin seat was Casey Jones He's a noble engineer But he's dead and he's gone Well, Casey's wife, when she heard the news Sitting by the fireside, she's lacing up her shoes She said, run now, children, put your head on your head Run downtown, see your daddy's dead Mr. Jay Gould said, before he died He'd fix those trains so the bombs can't ride Ride the lay they'll ride the rod And they trust their lives in the hands of God Oh, but Casey Jones said before he died There's two more roads that he wanted to ride The fireman asked him what road could there be He said Southern Pacific and the Santa Fe Old Casey Jones was a noble engineer He told his fireman not to fear All I want is my water and my coal Look out my window, see those driving wheels roll All I want is my water and my coal Look out my window, see those driving wheels Watch them roll Jenny Grave. This is the louder mic. I took the louder mic because the next person is actually louder than me, which is hard to imagine. Um, we were initially going to put the stand up directly in the middle of the show. I made an executive decision to put him at the end of the show, and you'll see why. He's a good friend of mine. I like him a lot. He brought a Washington Post, apparently, because he's a smart man. And he's very popular. Yes, let's stretch this out even longer. Um, he was recently at the Black Cat on Friday night backstage with me for 90 people. And then on last night he decided to perform with 600 people with Wyatt Cenac because he's got that kind of guy. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Haywood Turnip C. Jr. All right. Thank, thank you, Brandon. That was a great uh, introduction. And thank you, Johnny Grave. You are awesome, man. Got all your chest hairs out. That is. <laughs> it's hot. I don't know if you should do that in the Library of Congress, but that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he 
you, you are, like, I'm always impressed, like, I'm just always impressed by Johnny. It's like, that is, that is a lot of pain for a white guy who grew up in up across the Georgetown. I said, hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Sound like he grew up with the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia somewhere. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Woo, this has been an awesome show. But you have had the coolest people. Like, I have, I've always been afraid of libraries. Like, growing up, like, um, watching Reading Rainbow. Uh, that made me afraid of libraries because as a, as a child, I would watch Reading Rainbow before I go off to school with my grandparents. And when I would come home, they would show me Roots. Same guy that's in Reading Rainbow is also in Roots. So when I would get home, I would be like, what happened? <laughs> I was only in school for eight hours. And why is, oh, no, no books, just money. Let's make money, no books. No books, no education for me. So this is, this is really cool. This is actually, I've been in D.C. 20 years. This is my first time in the Library of Congress. I've been over to the Capitol. I've been over to the Senate building. I've been in Southeast for a little while. That's a beautiful neighborhood. <laughs> no, it is. I live in a beautiful gated community over there. It is awesome. Rest in peace, Mayor Barry. That is, uh, that is a tragedy that just happened. So rest in peace to him. You can clap. It's okay. Yeah. Some people don't know if they should or shouldn't clap. He's, he's gone. We should clap. No, he's a very polarizing individual and proof that everything is better in Canada. Um, well, as the mayor of Washington, D.C., he got arrested for crack and got fired and lost his job. Uh, Rob Ford in Canada did the same exact thing, and they gave him a parade and was like, hey, just bring uh, a third world into what we call parliament and let's have a party, y'all. And they have Justin Bieber. <laughs> and free health care, Johnny Grave, and free health care. So rest in peace, Mayor Barry. He's, I actually live in Ward 8 and actually uh, voted at the same polling place where Mayor Barry voted quite often. And uh, we ran into each other a few times. And he would see me and always tease me and be like, you don't look like you can vote. I'd be like, that's mean. Because you're the only one with a federal case. <laughs> so... This is, this is, this is, I'm like, I'm amazed I should actually perform. Um, yeah, so uh, we're, we're learning a lot today about the uh, our archives, man, and music and sound recordings. And this is, it's, it's, I once found out that there is like, okay, there's only 24 hours in a day, right? And like through the radio, we only actually hear 1% of the actual music that has been recorded. So it is amazing to me that there's like more music in the world than I could ever smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I, I figured the archivists would get that because I'm like, what are they doing in those archives? The last guy was so cool. He was incredible. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was incredibly cool. I was like, man, I, I want to archive with him once. <laughs> I would love. I know who Arlo Guthrie is. I want to Pete Seeger. I know all that good stuff, man. <laughs> Casey Jones. When was he at the bat? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Johnny Grave, do you know uh, Rather, Be, Rather Be by Clean Bandit? Can you close out with that? <laughs> no. Oh, man. No, uh, music, it's a, it's the, the beauty of music to me is like uh, uh, a few things that happen in America, like, like culturally speaking, jazz and stand-up comedy are like uniquely American, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call those things? You, art, forms. art forms. Like they were created uniquely in America, and those are things that we have given to the world contributing to culture. Right? Like, that's a beautiful thing to me. Like, we talk stuff about America and all our differences and whatnot. But it's beautiful for me that culturally, like, we are amazing. The music that we produce. It's, you ever notice, though, that the music, the better, the poorer or the more, dep 
The worse the people have it, the better the music and the food is. Mm-hmm. Like, have you, have you ever noticed that? Like, like, okay, like right now, like I just had some Peruvian chicken. That is awesome. <laughs> I don't know what kind of hell they have gone through in Peru. I was like, who made those people slaves? Because what they have done to the chicken is awesome. And while I was listening to it, you know, I was eating the chicken and was listening to music, and I was like, what did they rub on this chicken, cocaine? Because I, I just, mm. Mm, mm, mm. And it's always amazing to me, like, how, uh, uh, like, uh, like times like this, right, where, like, we just had the recession. And the music, you guys are talking about Taylor Swift, that is not the music that represents the recession. Although I do like that song, Shake It Off. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> I do. I shouldn't, I shouldn't like that song, but I really do. Um, but, like, like, the music that's going to come out from the next generation, you got, like, Kendrick Lamar, he's doing his thing, uh, hip-hop-wise. Uh, who are the hip-hop archivists? Because right now we're archiving folks' music, and we know they archive, like, like, the blues has been archived. Like, who are the hip-hop archivists? I would like to nominate myself as the <laughs> hip-hop archivist. I would love to sit around and smoke with the dude. <laughs> 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 and, and have the two, like, we talk about the world's largest record collections and stuff, and I'd be like, man, I got a lot of stuff on my iPad. Don't knock Justin Bieber, though. Don't knock Justin Bieber. I got Justin Bieber on my iPad. I shouldn't have that. As a hip-hop archivist, I should not have Justin Bieber. My son teases me about having Justin Bieber. He's like, Daddy, you shouldn't have that, man. That is corny music. And I was like, you know what's corny? You. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, uh, I, was talking, I was talking about um, culture. And that is how we express ourselves culturally, right? We express ourselves through the music, through the artwork, through, uh, through media, through the different forms of entertainment. It's how we, like, show this is who we are, right? Like, I have uh, uh, Caucasian friends from West Virginia that tap dance something wicked. Have you guys ever seen this movie, The Wild and Wonderful Whites? It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing... First of all, these, these people are so... They're so poor, I'm tempted. <laughs> they might as well be black. They might as, Excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> this crowd was too progressive for that. This crowd was too progressive. In West Virginia, that killed. They was like, what? We know what you mean, kinfolk. I was like, kinfolk? Kinfolk? What is kinfolk? Oh, that means cousin. So, <laughs> you guys don't see what I see. The guy, the sound man in the back is laughing, which is a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. I mean, he didn't turn me down. He didn't turn me down. He was like, oh, you're going, you're going there. You're touching those, you're touching us. Um, but like, yeah, like culture, I love, it's, it's amazing like how we, you can, like just America in and of itself, you can tell what part of the country you're in by the type of music you listen to on the radio. It was one thing, like we used to travel across the country and it was a time where you just hit scan and be like, okay, what's the sound? from this era? What's the sound from this area? What's this, like, it was different. I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Our sound was Michael Jackson. And we would, like, trans, we would uh, move to, let's say, Pittsburgh, and the sound was totally different. Or we would go down to Atlanta, and the sound was totally different. And the thing about, like, music and sound, it, it really just, I love how it, it, it lets us know who you are and how you are without really saying anything about you. Like, if I look, sir, if I ask you for your digital phone, do you have a digital phone, a smartphone? Cool. If I asked you to play a song from your smartphone, would I be surprised at it? Exactly. He has Rather Be by Clean Bandit in his phone. Get on it, Johnny Gray. (laughs) I I have it in my phone. I do. Like right now. Who who am I listening to right now? Sam Smith. That dude is amazing to me. Proof that, okay, all the good music is coming from London right now. And I don't know what they're doing to those London people over there. I swear, like him... Adele, uh, uh, Jesse Jane, I don't know what black drummer had sex with all of them 
to make this. <laughs> I don't mean like every last one. I don't know, but they are all depressed right now because I listened to Sam Smith. And he was. He sounds like I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Are you guys familiar with um, uh, what's his name? Who sang? Uh, uh, I can't remember right now. That's sad. <laughs> I just messed up that joke. <laughs> I did. I did because he sounds like this dude who sounds like Patti LaBelle. Sylvester. Sylvester is this big black transvestite who, who, who like sounded like Patti LaBelle. And that is exactly who Sam Smith sounds to me. And I was like, who broke his heart to make him sing those songs so rich and so beautiful like that? Like, have you heard that song, I'm, I Swear I'm Not the Only One? Oh, man, okay, this song is all about, it doesn't matter then. Um, this song is all about love, right? And he's like, I know when you call me and call me baby, I know I'm not the only one. How heartbreaking is that? Like, man, would you go to your significant other and be like, yo, I know you call me baby, but I'm not the only one you calling baby. I know you're over there sleeping with Adele also. <laughs> I know, I messed up that joke probably two sentences ago. <laughs> but, but it's cool. It's cool that I messed up that joke here at the Library of Congress because all we have to do later is look it up. Side note, do they still have the Dewey Decimal System? Is this the last place on earth with it? You have Dewey too. Like, this is the last place because I went to a library the other day. It was like, just look at your smartphone. What are you even doing here? Google it. <laughs> I was like, really? Thank you. I get my movies from the library, man. You never have to worry about them being late. <laughs> well, be kind. Please rewind. Okay. Uh, in closing... Uh, we're, talking about, we're talking about culture, we're talking about music, and I love the fact that that's how we can celebrate and share. Like, uh, I grew up around so many different types of people, like, listening to so much different types of music. So many different sounds are in my head. One of my favorite, uh, uh, probably one of my favorite artists of all times is Carlos Santana. I think Carlos Santana is one of the baddest dudes ever to rock the planet. I think he's just so smooth and so awesome. And the coolest thing about Carlos Santana, like Brandon Weatherby, is it's not all about him. Like, it's like, Brandon Weatherby allows us to come on his show, you, me, them, everybody. But he has us as a, 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 a parade of characters. Same with uh, uh, Carlos Santana. He has a parade of characters on his albums. The only time that I don't like listening to his albums is when he has Haitians on there like Wyclef. Those are the only people I don't mess with culturally. I just don't like Haitians. No, it's just true. I just don't like Haitians. And the only reason I don't like Haitians is because they nominated Wyclef for president after that uh, earthquake. It made no sense to me. I have Haitian friends, and I asked them, hey, friend, why did you guys nominate Wyclef for president? They said, because he's going to bring the country together. I said, he couldn't keep the Fugees together. <laughs> Ready or not, I am done. Thank you, guys. Haywood Turnip C. Jr. You did it. I did it, man. <laughs> this um, is awesome. Heywood, I, I feel like I had to have you here because we do a, sh a segment on the show for the past few years called Color Commentary, <laughs> where we talk about race yes. <laughs> and make people like him just leave the stage because they're incredibly uncomfortable. But He's not uncomfortable. No, but this happens all the time. We, uh, we do make people uncomfortable. We make people very uncomfortable, right. and we enjoy it. <laughs> and I decided we shouldn't do that at the Library of Congress. We're not going to make people uncomfortable. Were you guys uncomfortable by me performing at all? I was incredibly uncomfortable by you performing. Well, you were scared I was going to use some curse yes. words. Yes, yes. Brandon came up to me. He was like, hey, you know this has got to be clean. I was like, well, guess what? I washed today. <laughs> I have children. You're... All of my material is clean. <laughs> not. No. <laughs> Did you do one clean joke last night? 
At the Black Hat? Of course not. It was the <laughs> Sunday night at the Black Hat for a whole lot of white folks. Are you crazy? I did all my dirty material. <laughs> Are you sad about Marion Barry passing? Am I sad? I mean, well, death is a part of life. It's probably the biggest part of life. It's, actually, it's the opposite of life. Well, it's the, it's the passing of life. We don't know what's on the other side. I say that to say, am I saddened by the passing of Marion Barry? No, I'm not saddened by the passing of Marion Barry. I am saddened by the news treatment of the passing of Marion Barry. Yeah. Like how TMZ actually said, hey, crack... Former crackhead mayor of Washington, D.C., dead at such and such and such. Robin Williams passed away, and they didn't say coke-using, cross-dressing comedian dead at such and such and such and such. So I understand what TMZ is simply trying to do by just make a headline. But this is a human being that we're speaking about. Regardless of how we felt about him, this is a human being. And if you've ever lived in the District of Columbia, which I do presently, and I lived in Marion Barry's ward, you do understand the impact that he had on this city, which is powerful which is powerful. Love him or hate him, we all know about this city. And home rule is number one on his list. And it's still number one on the list, what, some 20, 30 years after he's been mayor. So he wasn't all bad. Plus, we got a new stadium. I got a nice gated community. A lot of white people got to move into the city. That was only because of the 80s. <laughs> now we're uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> we well, should end this, though, because we are going to run out of time, and I want to think. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sad. But it is, you know, and plus it have, here's the thing about Marion Barry that I think is awesome. Funny, which is awesome. Funny. Awesome, funny. I was like, on the day he passed away, he had a segment on Oprah's Where Are They Now? Oh. Only Marion Barry could pull that off, because <laughs> at the end, it says, where is he now? Resting with the angel. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Haywood Turnipseed Jr. Thank you, brother. Last song. We're going to get out of here on time. Thank you so much for letting us do this. We hope we didn't waste your time completely. Just a moderate amount of time that has been wasted. Cool. Awesome. I was incredibly nervous for the duration of that set. <laughs> I'm still nervous, and I'm staying on this stage because I'm afraid of what people think. I loved it. I'm going to say that out loud. For one final time, please put your hands together for Johnny Grave.
Thanks for, the, thanks for letting us do this. It's silly. Thank you for letting us do this. If I knew I was going to sweat this much, I would have wore a darker suit. Thanks for coming, everybody, and have a wonderful night. Yay!